Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. fellow basement dwellers this is your good friend patrick o'dowd welcoming you into another edition of bandwagon nerds bandwagon nerds is a part of the chair shot radio network on the chairshot.com where we remind you to always use your head the chairshot.com always use your head and we are here with the og crew today that's right patrick o'dowd David Ungar, Mr. Saturday Night PC Tony. We're actually gonna talk a little SNL today, dude. We're actually gonna talk a little SNL. How you feeling? How you feeling oh, about talking some SNL? Yeah, I mean, wish it was something better we were talking about, but you know. I know, I know. Well, and that's you know, spoiler alert. That's for after the first commercial break. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. There's all kinds of good stuff to talk about today, guys. Just to give you a little layout of the show, we are of course going to talk about our latest episode of The Mandalorian. Lots of news around the nerdosphere today. I tried to find trailers and I couldn't I couldn't find any good trailers this week. Though I almost put one out there. There was one I saw another show on Peacock that looks a little bonkers about a nun who has apparently received a missive from an AI to find the Holy Grail. And uh, it I may share it with you guys outside of it just to see how weird it was, but see how Tony's face is doing this. Um, I could see that that would mean that he would be all in on it because it's all Star Wars. Um, and, and that's that's really for um, maybe. Um, 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 hey, I'm wearing maybe a. Not, maybe not. Hey, can I say one is thing? It Star Wars, is it Star Wars for everyone? Today? Everybody. I've, I've got Star Ooh, Wars. Look too. at us. Woo-hoo. Look at us. We sold out. To the Star Wars teat today, That's we are right. suckling at the Star Wars teat first, right? It you know these are some great T-shirts. They're not as good as Chairshot Radio T-shirts that you would find at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the Chairshot, but you know Star Wars is a close second. So nice, nicely done. I, you know I try every now and again. I can get a shameless plug into, but yeah, we are. We're gonna talk. I'm gonna make you guys talk about the Oscars a little bit today. Sorry if you didn't watch the Oscars, but I I really want to talk about how important I felt like the Oscars were this year for what we do as a as a program and what is our as our passion on bandwagon nerds. And we're 
I guess I'm going to talk about The Last of Us. I was kind of hoping we, we'd have like a 50-50 split here. Yeah. That one episode? I I start I listen. You huh? can just ask me when we get there. Okay. I, so I didn't I, I haven't I haven't watched none of it. Let's put it that way. We could we haven't watched none of it. <laughs> Dave, what about you? Have you have you watched anybody? Any, any of it? No. You can tell. I, I want to. I just haven't had a chance to. I, I was almost hoping that once Mandalorian is done, we would go back and uh, and maybe like cover it. Episodically. Well, see, here's the, here's the, here's the problem fun, with that. That'd be here's, a fun see, side project for both of you. It, here, here's the yeah, here's the challenge here with that, too. By the time we finish the Mandalorian, we are way has to be like all the chat all the chatter right now about last of us and its season one finale is happening now what you're looking at is now sir this is now now what happened to then right you missed it just now baseball is nothing no okay i'll just i'll, I'll do this to myself then i guess when will then become now I was going to ask you to prepare to fast forward. Uh, I would prepare to fast forward. Fast forward. Oh, fast forward, yeah. Let's fast forward to The Mandalorian then, since clearly uh, The Last of Us conversation is going to go well. I do have some breaking news that we're going to talk about, too. By the way, yeah, a news article that just, a news article that uh, dropped today as we're recording here um, on Sunday. Some casting news for an upcoming movie. So think about that. Could be good stuff. Could be good stuff. But what we are going to do now is we're going to jump into post production land and get some Mandalorian music going so that we can talk episode 19 of The Mandalorian. So, Dave, if you please. Right. Thank you. So this is a Bo-Katan episode surrounding a very intriguing Coruscant episode. A lot happened today or this week on the Mandalorian. Yes, I did. Yeah, I did a hand motion, a thing thing. It was almost like I was grasping the breasts, the teats of Star Wars. Yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. It's all it's all Star Wars. So it's it's this is a an episode of the Mandalorian with not a lot of Mando, which I think is not a bad thing, as I feel like this episode we're getting to the guts of some stuff, and not just in the sense of implications for the season we're watching, but also and are I don't know if you want to argue whether I'm off or not off on this. Maybe a little bit of some retconning the First Order formation and cloning stuff 
because we start the episode right where we left off episode 18 with Mando being rescued by Bo-Katan out of the waters of Mandalore or whatever that I can't even remember what they're called. Do you remember what they're called, Dave? You usually pay attention better than I do. The the living waters? Yes, the living waters in Mandalore. He takes a vial of the living waters. Bo-Katan is in there as well. They go back quickly to this little hidden settlement to um, prove that he's no longer an apostate. While there, the armorer uh, not only speaks and confirms that the waters are from the living waters, but also looks at Bo-Katan and inducts her into this sect of Mandalorians because she has not removed her, removed her helmet since leaving the living waters. Tony is flashing the dark saber. We're going to talk about that too, because Bo-Katan is seeing some shit. As we also learned that while she was in the water, she's the only one who saw the creature in the water. And then she has a moment in the cave, looking at the skull, big thing. But most of this episode actually follows a character that we last saw in season one, Dr. Penn Pershing, who was the scientist working for Moff Gideon, trying to get his hands on Grogu's DNA for the purposes of cloning. He has landed on Coruscant as part of this rehabilitation program. It's not what they call it. Um, where amnesty. He's, he's Amnesty. Yeah, it's the amnesty problem. Like He goes into this amnesty program within the New Republic. He starts serving the New Republic, and it seems like he's genuinely trying to do right. While there, he runs into Aliyah Kane, who is also part of this amnesty program, and seems like she is befriending Dr. Pershing and is talking to him about re restudying cloning and re you know following his his scientific pursuits, even though it is counter to mandates by the New Republic. She eventually convinces him to go with her to a scrapyard to steal some of these, uh, some of this lab equipment that he was using in the past, where they're then confronted by new Republic, basically police. And it turns out that she's been acting as an informant and leads to him getting his mind wiped. As we learn that she is much more sinister than you would believe as, as she leads him in there watches him in this mind wiping thing where they're like, it's just going to be this gentle. We're not doing like this full thing. We're going to, we're not going to hurt you. And she basically cranks it up to 11 and fucking wipes his brain out. And you learn that Eliah Kane is not good and probably going to find herself back into the good graces of one Moth Gideon. That's, that's my guess. And I don't know. It was just a hell of an episode. So much good happened out of that. Tony, I'm going to start with you because Dave nodded emphatically over the return to uh, cloning. So you go first. Uh, I think we had one of the coolest action sequences so far, at least this oh, season. Oh, yeah. The... With the starship fighting. Um, that that was just excellent. The drop of Mando and then coming in and making all the, the move that Bo-Katan made at the end, kind of killing everything and then sweeping down and, and using the water to kind of brace everything and turning the engines back on was excellent that was that was a lot of fun i really enjoyed that um and then on the other side you look at um Pocatan just kind of not 
not necessarily wanting to be a part of, uh, you know, the, the way, you know, not practicing, but she's kind of like, it's her best benefit to just go along while she's there. <laughs> but it's funny because I think Elia Kane is definitely, you know, a former, what, Imperial information officer. So I think she's there undercover. I don't think, I think she's still, like you said, working with the other side. I think even though she got the doctor caught, what, what was it? It's Penn uh, Pershing, right? Dr. Pershing. Yeah. I still think that she is in that position while still being an agent for, you know, the Imperial forces. Yeah. It, it just, it, it makes all the sense in the world, right? It clearly seems that she's still loyal. You, it was a great episode. I really liked it. I didn't mind that we were away from, you know, uh, Mando and, and Bo-Katan. Um, I thought the interviewing robot was really funny, the way that Pershing interacted back and forth and asked the questions. And then, like you said, you could tell Pershing was trying to turn things for good. He he did agree with the fact that he was away from, you know, that side of things. But like I said, I think Elia is definitely still working with the other side and, and just uh, using the position that she's fav- won favor with at the amnesty place to go ahead and further their things. Like she's just trying to get information and passing it along. She's probably going to take whatever they confiscated from him, pass that along. So obviously this is where all the cloning comes in, like you said. So, Right. Dave, your thoughts uh, on this episode? Well, Wow, a lot going on. Um, first off, Bo-Katan keeping the Mythosaurus secret. That's that's something you got to keep an eye on because she asked specifically asked Mando, "Did you see anything down there?" No, I just saw the chasm. So she knows she knows the Mythosaurus down there. She doesn't disclose that to any not to not to Din or to any of the people on the whatever planet that they go to when she's redeemed. So that's something to keep an eye on. Um. The resurgence of the Empire, which will morph into the First Order, as we know, is very prevalent in this episode when you see the bombing of Bo-Katan's castle and, you know, mudsuckers bomb my, you know, my castle or whatever she calls them. Um, So the the remnants of the Empire, interestingly enough, never really go away. Now, they they do evolve into the First Order. We know that. But they're it's still they're still formidable. And and increasing in severity, and you see that here with with this bombing of her homeworld. The stuff with Pershing and Elia Kane, and and I agree with you, Pat. And I've read several things that I think they are trying to retcon and make your favorite movie of all time, Rise of Skywalker, make more sense. And and the cloning and and the stuff going on with Palpatine and his, and that's the big thing. I agree with Tony, and I agree with you. Elia is working for somebody. Now, Moff Gideon was supposedly mind flayed, but he may have escaped. And I found that kind of interesting. The whole mind flayer thing is you guys just steal that from Stranger Things. Um, But she's working with either Moff Gideon or she could potentially be working with Palpatine behind the scenes to try and get that technology from Pershing to bring Palpatine back fully embodied, which, you know, even at the end of Rise of Skywalker, we see he's not quite there. He's still formidable, whether you hate the movie or not is 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 one thing but they seem i agree they're retconning that they're trying to make that whole story make more sense this is why cloning is so important um but yeah i, I and i was going to ask you when when she turned that thing up to 11 didn't you get that vibe from flash gordon you know when clytus tells the chick 
don't go above here. The human mind can't handle it. And she goes and goes even beyond that. I was like, it's like, this is a Flash Gordon throwback a little bit here. But, you know, I think that the big thing is, yeah, who's who is she working for? Is Gideon still out there? Is there somebody bigger involved in this whole thing? And and something I read online that was interesting is is the one guy, the I think his name's Vizla, um, who's been voiced by John Favreau through the first couple of yep. seasons. They changed that, which leads to speculation that more of these Mandalorians are now going to be removing their helmet, presumably to, you know, side with Bo-Katan as we go forward. Um, so, yeah, I thought it, it's a really good episode. And, and like, I like Tony saying that thing with the, uh, with the move that Bo-Katan made. I, I was thinking, okay, flashback to Tony's favorite movie, Top Gun. I'm going to hit the brakes. He'll fly right by because that's pretty much what right. they did. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> there was no, there was no jeans volleyball beach volleyball okay i'm talking about the maneuver tony that was purely i'm gonna hit the brakes if, so you're, fly telling right me by. You did, if, you, if you're telling me you didn't hear danger zone playing little kenny loggins in the background yeah. like i don't i don't know what you're doing man. it's not a maneuver well arnold schwarzenegger was not in that at all like where's that come from um polka tins taken over right oh yeah like that's eventually she's going to be the leader we've now seen hints twice that there is so much more for her as a character. She's the yeah. one who properly wielded the dark saber. She's the one who, so Dave, let me ask you this. Cause you brought it up. Was it, was it real or was it a vision under that water for both? Oh, what I think it's think? real. I mean, you know, you they, it's real? they do the flashback. So then why didn't Mando see it? Uh, well, he was falling too fast and he was unconscious by the time that she, that they got down there. That's what I think. Did he just, did he just slip though when he went in? Is that why he went down so far? No, because that thing grabbed him. That's why he went down there. So of course it's real. He says that he didn't realize how deep it was. That he misstepped and kind of didn't realize how deep it was. And maybe that. And maybe you're right, Tony. Maybe the myth, mythosaur grabbed him. I fully think it's real. I think that you know they're talking about the legend is that there's a mythosaur living in the in the living waters below the mines of Mandalore. Um, somebody's riding that thing at the end of this year. I guarantee you that whoever rides that thing is going to be the leader of the Mandalorians. Well, it might kind of coincide with the person who can wield the dark saber the best. You know what I'm saying? Maybe is. it's a, maybe it's a, a right. worthiness kind of thing. So that would all be a happy coincidence. This is, this is definitely Bo-Katan's mantle of leadership to take. In my opinion, like I think that's where we're going and it's just, how will it get there? When will it transition? Cause Mando, Mando, Din doesn't want it. Like that's the other thing is really important. Like he he does not want to be that guy. He, he wanted doesn't. to be redeemed. That's his sole right. focus. And now he's been redeemed. Right. He's been redeemed as has Bo-Katan. And it will be interesting to see how how this plays out because that is a relationship in conflict. This is a a group she has termed a cult, and yet here they are, uh, uh, welcoming her in and saying. She's a part of that clan for as long as she wants to be. So it's almost like no pressure. You're with us until you're not. Was Grogu trying to say this is the way on the ship? I don't know. I'd have to go back Maybe. and re-listen to it. He's he's getting closer to saying words that I can understand. They both did it, and then they turned to Grogu back there, who was mumbling something, and I'm like... Well, he wants to be a Mandalorian. That's why he's back. He's that's what he's studying. So maybe he ridiculously was ridiculously powerful, say- force sensitive Yoda style Mandalorian. Good oh, lord! Com- 
Yeah, come on, right? Brendan Z get his helmet. That's the Lego give, I want to give, give him blasters. Will it have cute little little like Mandalorian style ears? How could it not? Right? Maybe it'll have holes in the ears that just stick out. I take my money. Just uh, give me both. <laughs> so okay, so I feel like the stage is set here now. I feel like we've taken care of, of some some groundwork. We've laid a new we've laid a new foundation for for the new normal moving forward. The next step is to figure out what the hell those TIE fighters were doing laying waste to Bo-Katan's castle and what what's happening with that conflict, right? Seems, seems that, about right. That was really uh, not cool to see it for, you know, for her to see her home get blown up, but cool to see that we're advancing the storyline in, in that nature, right. which kind of lends to everything else where we've been trying to connect the dots as well. But I'm going to just ask you guys real quick, because I thought this was a really fucking good episode. Would you agree that you'd give this episode at least a nine out of 10? Yeah, I think it was a terrific episode. I think it's right up there with amongst the best. Yeah, that they that they put out there, and especially because of where it's going to take us. I I would agree, and I, I and I do think that you know, as much as opinions on Luke on Rise of Skywalker were lukewarm at best, um, them trying to make more sense of this and add some depth to whatever the fuck is really going on with Palpatine is a good thing, even if they are retconning it. And I think we all agree they probably need to. And I'm sure Pat, you would wholeheartedly say they need to fix this and if they're going to go about making it make more sense and and having it be a deeper plot then that's a good thing right and and, the, and then you add you make the sequel trilogies like you go and say oh okay now it makes a little bit more sense if that's possible no i will never forgive the sequel trilogy okay fuck all of that that's fair fuck all. dave fair. i i did i okay i'm gonna do this so just buckle up i hate that they're doing this I figured you were like, not. You were why, not. You were not in favor of it because it's a stupid story, Dave. It's still a stupid story, even if they retcon it to make sense. Retconning the survival of Emperor Palpatine from Return of the Jedi, first of all, bringing it back in the first place was dumb. Was just dumb. I, if there are there are quibbles to be had with the Last Jedi amongst. The problems I do have with The Last Jedi is you had a new bad guy and you killed him. In Rather unceremoniously. Like, lightsaber through the middle. That was dumb. I agree. And so then you, you painted yourself into one quarter and you just made the quarter tighter. But like, well, I guess Palpatine didn't die. So now we have to tell ourselves a way that Palpatine didn't die. And now we're having to tell ourselves a way to tell ourselves that everything that happened Makes sense. And it's an unfair burden for the Mandalorian to kind of bear and future Star Wars stories to bear. And it does, in my opinion, bring itself back to the, the, the fundamental core problem that anybody who's been working with Star Wars has had outside of some of these animated series is like getting away from that story. Just get away from it. like it's done. Like that story was told in three episodes. It should have just been left well enough alone. And it's that's what's been fascinating to me. And I, I put it actually, I put it on J.J. Abrams, honestly. Like, I put it back on J.J. Abrams, whose sequel trilogy was basically a redux of the original trilogy, as opposed to telling a new story with with a Ray, like with a new Jedi. 
even even with a first order, like I don't even have necessarily a problem with the rise of a first order. It's that it all comes back to Emperor Palpatine. That's where that's where you lost me. I know what I wanted that's to ask you, you Pat. I wanted to ask you. There, some of the stuff I read online, and, and I know I'm almost to the end of Andor. I know you've seen all of Andor. The stuff on Coruscant, you know, and, and bringing Coruscant back is something that, wow, okay, I didn't think we'd ever see that. We haven't seen that since the prequel trilogy. That was kind of cool. That they and they and the talk about the mountain and the and the piece of it that's sticking mm-hmm. up and um but the whole thing that that Coruscant story interlude in this episode felt very Andorish, didn't it? Yeah, it's very intrigue filled. It's a it's much different than sort of what we've seen in the in the Western telling, which is basically what the Mandalorian is, right? Is a space western. Yeah, they went from this was full very on... much a, a they went from full on action in that in that in that's that chase on the Space planet spies. and then they went into political intrigue but it's not the political stuff from the prequel trilogy it felt more like an episode right. of andor to me here's the other thing it's no accident that we've seen this mountain what's going on inside that mountain right something is going on inside that the mountain the tallest peak don't like touch it don't touch it right right something is going on inside that mountain and hopefully that gets revealed by the time we get to the end of this season and they keep this going. All right. We're going to close the book on episode 19 of the Mandalorian. Great, great launching pad to the rest of this season. When we come back, we're going to talk a ton of news around the nerdosphere. Stay with us. You're listening to bandwagon nerds here on the chair shot radio network, part of ChairShot.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshop.com, bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshop.com. All right. Welcome back. Patrick O'Dowd, back. David Ungar, back. PC Tunney and his cat, back. Old cat lady sitting there. You got your blankie on your on your on your on your lap. Oh, your little, oh no, your Grogu blankie is behind you. Okay, all right. Let's get into a ton of news around the nerdosphere. Like I said at the top of the program, I am going to make Dave and Tony talk a little Oscars. As this past Sunday, not not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before when we were recording, 
the Oscars were happening. I was all in NCAA tournament selection Sunday mode, so like my brain was super excited. But I did watch the Oscars in its entirety for the first time in a long time. And I will say that the show itself, the ceremony itself, was mostly good. Uh, Jimmy Himmel, Jimmy, Jimmy Himmel, Jimmy Kimmel was a solid host, although there were a couple of really bad jokes, like bad taste jokes that just shouldn't have been shouldn't have been made. The the usual complaining that fans have after a show happened, people who should have won who didn't win, people who should have been in the in memoriam that weren't in the in memoriam because God knows if we put everybody in an industry who died onto a program, it would be as long as the Oscars itself. And people were literally complaining about famous actors who died like two days before the ceremony. Like, like, come on, get, get with it. Like I, I love to Paul too in both Fiddler on the Roof and Flash Gordon, but he died two days before the Oscar ceremony. And not for nothing, but when you're putting it to a, a song that's being performed live, that's a little bit of a challenge to make sure that it gets done in two days. But, you know, everybody who, you know, you big T'Pol fans out there, like all five of you, sorry. Uh, maybe he'll pop up in next year's Ted Memorial just based on timing. However, it, in my opinion, was a huge day for us here on the bandwagon. And here's why. Everything, everywhere, all at once while not a movie that I think everyone here has seen, I know I have seen it at the theaters. I know um, Aesop loves this movie and saw it repeatedly at the theaters. Dave, I don't think you or Tony ever got a chance to catch it, did you? I know Tony did. Everything, everywhere, all at once? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. I saw it. You saw it. This is the second time in the last few years where our genre won best picture. And so at its heart, like bandwagon nerds, like we talk about nerdy stuff. Yeah. Like we talk about Marvel and DC probably more than anything else. But the other thing that we really spend a lot of time talking about is we talk a lot about science fiction. We talk a lot about fantasy uh, in those types of entertainment, because that is the wheelhouse and the genre that we work with primarily. And this along with comedy is a longstanding category of film that does not get the recognition and love it deserves outside of technical achievement by the Academy. And so for everything, everywhere, all at once to win best picture, best director, three out of the four top acting categories for me as a fan of this type of stuff, it was beautiful and was a wonderful moment for categories and genres that i that i love that that i go out you know the only other way it could be better you know other genres that, that don't get the love they deserve horror like how horror doesn't win for makeup effects every year like i don't know uh, but it doesn't whether you like horror or not Tony, as you as you make space a, you look like you smelled some dead fish in your in your uh, your attic or something I don't know. It was just great. And there were so many great moments out of this whole thing. And whether that was Kihui Kwan hugging Harrison Ford at the announcement of Best Picture to winning supporting actor in the first place and kind of continuing that tour, that guy, that guy's story is just amazing. You know, to be, he was a child actor, basically stopped acting because he got tired of being typecast to then come back and do this movie and to be standing on the stage at the Oscars 
giving an acceptance speech. Jane Lee Curtis. And listen, fans of, of Angela Bassett out there, I hear you. I loved her in Wakanda Forever too. It doesn't make Jamie Lee Curtis's victory less deserving. And if you haven't seen Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere all at once, you don't really have a leg to stand on to say that Angela Bassett was superior. So if you saw both and you think Angela Bassett was better, fine. I can I can get with that. I think that they're pretty equal performances. Jamie Lee Curtis has never won an acting award either at the Oscars. Uh, has long been known as a, a comedic and screen queen. And, and her performance was absolutely worthy of a Best Supporting Actor Oscar. And, and then you wrap it up with, you know, Michelle Yeoh winning Best Actress. It was, it was just amazing. It was amazing. And it, I thought it was a great day for science fiction. So Dave, Sonny, I know Dave... I don't, I don't think either of you watched this ceremony, but just thoughts on what this is for the genre. I watched it. I usually actually do stay up for the Oscars. Um, it's one of those things that I just enjoy. I actually enjoy, <clears throat> excuse me, I actually enjoy the hosting part more of it. Um, it. It's kind of like a Saturday Night Live feel where it's someone who is really talented in doing a monologue and kind of comedic sketches goes gets to go out there and do their thing. I really love them picking on the audience. I thought the opening was excellent from Jimmy Kimmel. If I was Jimmy Kimmel, I would have said when asked to host this year's, I would have said, yes, I'll do this year's for free. As long as I get to host in five years at the hundredth for whatever you're going to pay the person to do that one. Um, that would have been, if I was Jimmy Kimmel's agent, I would have told him to do that. Cause I think that's going to be a big one to host, but I would imagine they may have multiple hosts from recent years on that one, but I just love the feel of it. Unfortunately that day I had recorded four podcasts already and I only, only made it through like the first couple hours, but I did see both acceptance speeches from, um, what is it? Chi, Chi Wei Quan? Ki Hui Kwan. Okay. And that was amazing. Like I actually cried when he did his acceptance speech was excellent. And then I did love Jamie Lee Curtis's acceptance speech as well. And I'm okay with the fact that Angela Bassett wasn't thrilled for not winning. You know, yeah, you should like, win. it's fine. Yeah, it's not like right. she stomped her feet and yelled boo hiss and tried to take the trophy away. Um, and she never one time, I don't believe one time said that Jamie Lee Curtis didn't deserve it either. Um, right. So, you know, no big deal there. Um, I think both were worthy. And yeah, you know, the most money and the most attention be, is being paid to the genre that we enjoy, really. Um, what, you know, once once we get a cat, once we get an Oscar for, for just for comedy on its own, then maybe we're getting somewhere because, man, co- comedy is so unappreciated and, and yet, you know, not underrated by most if you think about it. it it's in your life every day. Dave. Well, I think I, I did not watch the Oscars, you know, after the train wreck of last year. I'm like, ah, I'll just read about it. But as far as everything everywhere all at once, I, I will say this. I, I didn't like it as much as you guys did. I think it's a phenomenal movie, but it's one. And to be fully transparent, it's something I need to go back and watch a couple more times to fully appreciate. It's one of those multiple viewing sort of things. But that being said, the story's really good. The performances are phenomenal. And as somebody who did watch both of them, I think Jamie Lee Curtis is very deserving of that award, taking nothing away from Angela Bassett. You know, I mean, she 
right. was tremendous. I, you, it's it's six in one, half dozen in the other. You could have given it to her, and I don't think it, we would have been like, whatever. That yeah, she's we, deserving we'd as well. We'd exactly. be celebrating that. We'd be celebrating that too because and, that's the MCU breaking through, right? At the Oscars as well, right? That's also huge, right? No, your and, your point is that the victory by everything everywhere all at once the nominations of the people involved it, it, i agree it's huge for our what we do because we haven't seen this really since return of the king where it basically swept the oscars right. that year and it, and it deservingly so well and what's interesting about return of the king is a lot of people argue that that was kind of like an achievement award for peter jackson for the for the pre for the labor that was making those three movies nothing was so close even that, that nothing was close that year Nothing came close to it right. that year. Untouchable. So, but um, yeah. So here's the other thing. I'm gonna I, I'm gonna say this just because you know you know that it's it's me. But um, thrilled for stop motion animation. Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Winning best picture or best animated feature for um for Pinocchio, which I don't know if it was the best animated feature uh, i will say i did finally puss in boots is now available on uh peacock by the way it was a lot of fun it was good con- the, the little o'dowd just adored that movie thought it was amazing so right. it's good stuff but, i thought turning red was gonna win there well i think about it I, yeah I, I was a little surprised I think that was it the best i think that was the best story told in, in those movies that that they had there not not saying that any of them weren't excellent and well done i just well, yeah, I thought that was the one that was I'm going to plug our own show. Pinocchio did very well at the streamies. Won several of our it best animation. He did do animation. very well at the streamies. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I, I also genuinely appreciated whether whether people agree with it or not. Uh, in Guillermo del Toro's speech where he said, animation is not a genre. Animation is cinema. I don't think there, like, honestly, in my lifetime, I don't think there will ever be, there will ever come a time where an animated feature wins Best Picture, it just won't. It, it suffers the same stigma that comic books has for a long, long time, and that is that it's for children. Uh, I disagree with that vehemently, uh, but I was thrilled to see a stop motion animation feature win that that award. So, all in all, I thought it was one of the better Oscar ceremonies in the last five years. Uh, watch, that watch, I thought it was really, really good. Watch that first episode of Invincible. It's all for kids. Oh yeah, animation is totally for kids, not for adults at all. All right, let's let's get into PC Tony's wheelhouse here and share an article that Dave actually shared with me. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna warn everybody now. I'm gonna click the link. But this is the same website that last week kept auto playing videos with sound. So I'm gonna try to be quick with this before any of those videos come across and we advertise Nissan trucks or some weird shit like that. And Tony, did they pay talk us about yet? this? Have we're... they paid us yet? That's right. Is it... I heard the checks in the mail. Very coy PC, Tony. Very I hear coy. the check is lost in the mail based on that face. But well, anyway, so Dave. I'm more Star Wars shirts. <laughs> All right. Dave actually shared this article uh, coming from comic book TV, comicbook.com under their TV categories in which NBC will be addressing a possible Saturday Night Live strike that could delay some upcoming episodes. On Thursday, a new report revealed that NBC Universal recently met with the Motion Picture Editors Guild, which represents about 20 of Saturday Night Live's 
post-production editors. According to the reporting, these talks occurred over Zoom in an effort to resolve circumstances surrounding a potential strike. The ordeal has not yet been fully resolved, but NBC seemingly vows to fix things ahead of a planned strike from the editors, which would begin on April 1st. So, these uh, these post-production editors, according to the article, they largely work on Saturday Night Live's pre-recorded segments and have been criticizing the series for underpaying them and not providing adequate health benefits. Not unfamiliar grounds for labor disputes. Hear it everywhere when it comes to unions and management. As we record this, it is March 19th. April 1st is not that far away. Is this going to be one big April Fool's joke, or should we be worried? Tony, are you worried about your SNL fix? Are we going to are we going to reach a deal? What do you think? We'll get it all at some point. But yeah, I I mean, this week was a bye week. I think next week was a planned bye week as well. So I think they knew that they were comfortable. Like Jenna Ortega hosted with. Uh, the 1975 and they knew that they had two week break after that. And then usually they start April and run five or six until the end of the season. So it feels like that they kind of knew that they had some work to do in the couple weeks off. And I think they'll make things right. I, I don't think the people that are talking about possibly in so many words, threatening a strike really want to miss paychecks either. So I, I think both sides get together and, and we'll have a new Saturday night live much sooner than if there was a strike, it would be much later. Excellent. Dave, you're, you're, our, you're our resident lawyer who we lean on in all forms of law because you know all of the different types of law and, out, and work out there. How are you feeling about this? You, you shared the article. Are you worried at all about Saturday Night Live not being live on time? First off, my disclaimer that I am not competent in a variety of areas of law. He knows everything about law. He is a master of the legal system. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, you he know, does not publish copyrighted material. This this strike, I I would say, maybe has a little bit more of a risk of going through than some of the other ones because, yeah, you know, I, I mean, with Saturday Night Live, you're. It's tough because they've been on the air for so, so long without, you know, a disruption like this. But, you know, you look at stuff like, uh, you know, when they a couple weeks ago, they had the like the rail yards were going to strike. You knew that wasn't going to happen because they're not going to disrupt, you know, the the flow of commerce in the United States for any reason. But this one is like like Tony saying they've got some built in stuff where they've got some gaps and some things where they can work things out. Um, this one might have a little bit more merit to it when people are saying we're being underpaid, our healthcare benefits are shit and we're tired of it. And this has been going on for years. Um, and NBC universal may, I don't know what their track record is as far as like HR related stuff is. I'd have to look into that, but, uh, they'll probably work it out. I I'd say probably 75% chance that they'll get this thing worked out ahead of time. Cause you know, really who needs that kind of bad publicity <laughs> SNL disrupted for a month due to this strike is not going to look very good for an organization like NBC universal. So I, I Tony wants to say something. Go ahead, man. It, it'll make for funny shows when they come back and make fun of themselves. Yes, absolutely. So in that respect, that, that'd be good, but I, I figure they'll probably work it out. I think there's a bigger chance that, that this actually goes into effect than some of the other ones, but it seems like a situation where NBC is going to say, you know, we really can't have the longest running show in history um, 
get disrupted over something like this. So we need to work this thing out. It, it just it just has a bad bad look and bad feel to it. So, I mean, man, it, it's always interesting when it comes to strikes because it, it's all about or labor disputes because it's all about the 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 court of public opinion, right? And who wins that battle and how that goes. I I don't know how much they'll make fun of it unless it makes more national news because right now it hasn't you know but nothing against comicbook.com they're not exactly the new york times so i think if this does get resolved kind of quickly and quietly good if we're looking at it next week week after and it's getting closer and it actually makes nbc cbs the new york times the washington post those sort of hollywood reporter those sorts of those sorts of outlets, and then I think we're looking at something entirely different. And then, it, yeah, then it all comes down to the court of public opinion. So, more on that as it comes, because I don't know how Tony will spend his Saturday night life, Saturday nights if there's no Saturday night life for him to see. You'd be okay. Yep. Just have to turn to the cock. You'll have your cats. When all else fails, turn to the like cock. It. Is that what you're saying, Tony? Yeah, that's, that's not going to be the title of the show, guys. I've just lo- it's kind of a long, yeah. long title. A doodle do. A doodle do. Very nice. Okay. Let's get to a new story I care about that I'm sure you two don't really care about because they poo pooed it. Honey, I don't think watched it, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, it came out in a news story this week that Disney Plus had canceled their revival of the TV show Willow. And for the record, I watched it, thoroughly enjoyed it, was surprised at how much I actually did enjoy it, was ready for season two. And so it was really sad when this news came across. Show creator John Kasdan penned a letter, though, that casts a little bit of doubt as to how canceled it really is. I'm going to read some of the highlights uh, because I do think it's important before you get your thoughts. So, sorry, he was uh, he was one of the writers and executive producers for Willow. He penned a really long letter, and I'm pulling this right off of uh, my favorite website, Gizmodo, in which he said that... Um, it's not necessarily a cancellation that the details of the decision and adding some nuance seems to have been lost in the wake of, quote, punchy headlines. He goes on to state that last week, Lucasfilm and Willis production team made a decision to release their main cast for other opportunities because of an industry-wide slowdown of streaming show production. However, he states that he has written an entire season two called Volume Two with the enthusiastic support of Lucasfilm. While there are currently no plans to enter pre-production of the scripts, as Dan reminds the audience that plenty of shows have long delays in between seasons. Even Willow, quote, didn't get its well-deserved sequel for 35 years. So here's the thing. I like his enthusiasm. I want to believe his enthusiasm. I'm concerned, but I guess hope isn't entirely dead. Should hope be entirely dead for me, Pete Paradigm, PC Tony, David Ongar. No, 
I don't I think this ties into like what we're talking about last week, you know, with uh with Iger's approach where he says Disney Plus had some uh some pricing issues and and he's looking at everything right now. And I think this this might be one of these things where if you're Iger and you're looking at series that are on Disney Plus that you're going to say, "Yes, that one's going forward." No, that one's definitely not. I'm not so sure about this one. Willow probably falls in the middle there. I'm not so sure about this one. Let's hold off on this. Let's let these guys who are working on this go do some other stuff that we need them to work on. So I, I kind of agree that I don't think this is, is this is a definitive. There's no way we're going to get a second season. This is just kind of Disney retooling, reorganizing a little bit, looking at things differently and saying, okay, this is a show that I haven't seen it. You know, it's one of the ones that I want to watch. Absolutely. But I just haven't seen it. But that's what I, I would say that, you know, this is one of these shows that has enough of a following and fandom that maybe they're like the hiatus seems like a, a proper terminology for this thing. I was genuinely surprised how much I liked it, by the way. Like I was. Yeah, just genuinely surprised at how they took that show, its premise and its lore and, and grew it and, and expanded on its own background. So. I, thank you for giving me some hope. Tony, are you here to crush my hope? I, I don't know that I'm here to crush your hope or not. Um, I know that when I seen this series was coming out, I went back and watched the movie and loved it all over again. It's a really good movie, honestly. Even if you haven't seen it in a while, it's just it's an excellent movie. To hear you talk so well about the series, I really probably should make time. I guess I could... I, <laughs> It's funny. I have like three lists, one with like of utmost importance, another one that's like, okay, this is, this is kind of the regular one. If you know, one of those other ones and then like a flyer list. So maybe I need to move this up on the middle list, but I, yeah, you know, I heard it did well and I heard a lot of people liked it as well, but maybe it's not done, but it's never good to be on hiatus or, you know, baby hiatus or, you know, the, it's never a good thing. So I would just say temper expectations, appreciate what you got. And if you get more, you know, maybe at best. I appreciate you talking to me like I'm not going to get my Christmas present that I wanted for. I'm not getting a pony for Christmas. That's what I heard there. <laughs> no pony for me. I just said that, you know, you talk about a pony and, you know, who grows up with a pony? You know, rich people. No, not everybody is rich that grows up with a pony. I had a pony. You know, Seinfeld, sorry. Go ahead. By the way, I meant to share this with you way back uh, when you were talking about Angela Bassett being mad. It actually made me think of that episode of Friends where Joey doesn't win the soap opera award. And they've got him like focused. He's like, motherfucker, he's all pissed. And then all of a sudden he realizes the camera's on him. He's like, mm, yeah, good win. Or yeah. or his his spit takes, literally. Uh, what right. he's acting with, I forget who that's with there in the army scene. Uh, Gary Oldman. So Gary yes. Oldman. Yes, yes, yes. He's teaching him how to like really pronounce it and get the spit going, and they're like spitting in each other's face. It's hilarious. All right, we're gonna take our second commercial break. This is an episode that is flying right along. A uh, couple more pieces of news. We are gonna jump into the world of the DC universe, uh, but before we do that, before we go to our commercial, or you know, after we get our commercial break, we're gonna answer the age-old question: How much would you pay for one collector card? All of that is coming to you after our commercial break. Now, before we get to our recorded commercials, though, it is my duty to remind you, just like I did earlier in the show, that if you love what we do here at the ChairShot Radio Network on thechairshot.com and you want to support us, the best way to do so is to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash thechairshot, spend a little money on us, 
and invest in a chair shot shirt. We have all kinds of great designs out there. Only $19.99 a pop, but if you're feeling fancy, want something that feels good on your giblets, get it soft style. Your body will thank you. We love putting this content out for you every single day, and the best way to help us keep doing that is to head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot and get one of those shirts. When we come back, how much would you pay for one trading card? The gang answers that and more. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, part of the Chairshot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Bandwagon nerds. The OG crew is here. Patrick O'Dowd, David Ongar, PC Tunney, talking all kinds of news around the nerdosphere this week. Light day. I stumbled across. So full disclosure as to why you got a slideshow sent to you as part of your rundown today, if you clicked on it from Gizmodo. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons with some friends yesterday. And they started talking about Magic the Gathering and this card set that is being released that is a Lord of the Rings card set. Not a big deal. People, for those of you who don't play Magic and are listening to this podcast, I'm surprised. But it's basically, I I don't even know, I don't play it. So I, I don't really understand it entirely. But you have these different cards that do different things. And your goal is to destroy the other magician across the way from using these cards and these things. And there's been all kinds of special editions and decks. And it's like collecting baseball cards for people. Like you get certain cards that are extremely rare. They're worth a lot of money. Well, we have the rarest of rare cards because out of this Lord of the Rings set, which is steeped all in the lore of Tolkien's books, there is only one card that is for the one ring and some human being somewhere is going to find that card and they could either play it or they could put that baby in a hard case and probably sell it. It's already being offered before anybody's even purchased. There are collectors out there offering tens of thousands of dollars for this exclusive magic, the gathering one ring card gentlemen one would you pay thousands of dollars for an extremely rare collectible and it doesn't even have to be this one ring card if so what would be the the collectible that you would spend thousands of dollars oh dave oh this is supposed to be a fun exercise and look at you guys well i can put the question I mean, I I play Magic: The Gathering, so I kind of know. Nerd. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a it's a board card game, so you know I'm going to play it. Um, yeah, I I don't. I mean, the Magic: The Gathering. If you go into any sort of hobby shop or, or board game store or anything like that, there's a big Magic: The Gathering section with all these rare cards and sleeves and everything that people are, you know, trading and and, and paying top dollar for. For me, as somebody who plays the game, I'd want to know. Is this one ring card? Is is it really powerful? 
as far as it working in game you know it does it does it change the mechanics of the game is it as the kids say op is it overpowered card that really is a game breaker or does it really fit in with the symmetry of everything else going on um but you know from that standpoint yeah maybe but i i don't know if i'd pay like thousands of dollars for just one card i mean oh just just for record so i'm looking at articles right now where you're talking about this two days ago this is all based on hearsay they're talking that this could go for a million dollars this one card so this is so basically what you're telling me is this is the golden ticket of magic the gathering well it's also a wizards of the coast will print a one of one foil card of the ring of power the one ring i mean obviously whoever gets it isn't going to use i mean i guess you could still use it in game if you sleeve this thing in fucking adamantium you could play with it let's let's explain it's so it's indestructible when the one ring enters the battlefield if you cast it you gain protection from everything until your next turn at the beginning of your upkeep you lose one life for each burden counter on the one ring whatever that means i'm sure there's rules that go with it right Put a burden counter on the one ring, then draw a card for each burden counter on the one ring. Sounds like a bunch of nerd mumbo jumbo. It's but yeah, it's a one of one foil card. So you put it in play, and 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 it basically protects you from anything. But it's only for like one turn. So that I guess depending on when you played it, might have more power to it. Like if you were like at the very end and you needed like one turn to be able to overcome the other one, other wizard then you play this card and, and you're indestructible for a turn that buys you enough time. And then even after that, I don't know what these burden encounters are, that sort of thing, but it sounds pretty powerful. If you know, it sounds like a, a very powerful card in the game. So from that standpoint, you know, I, I, you'd have to research it to see, is this the most powerful magic, the gathering card ever made would be my first question. Right. If it is, then it has some inherent additional value, but sure. otherwise it's one of one. It's the only one that exists. It's like Action Comics, you know, number one. It's like there's very, and it's even more rare than that. This is the only one of these cards that's existing. So, yeah, I could see where the price for that is going to be driven up, especially if it actually has some functionality to it. I wouldn't pay for it. I just, no. Now, there there are other extremely rare, rare cards being placed in this set that are also foiled based on the other rings from the Lord of the Rings books there are going to be 300 serialized double rainbow foil cards for the elven rings from the trilogies the three elves three rings given to the elves 700 dwarven soul rings and 900 human soul rings in addition to non-foil versions of the soil soul ring cards that will be printed in a run of 19,000, but only one one ring that one ring to rule them all literally seriously Tony, what's one collectible you would pay thousands of dollars for? I mean, we're talking about collectibles in this fashion. You you kind of think of coins, stamps, uh, sports trading cards, uh, but none of them are actually involved in like a game that you play, right? Because there's one-offs right. that have been in different packs of baseball, basketball cards, things of that nature. There's coins that are limited to you know only a handful left on the on the face of the earth. But for me, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I think you, for me, it'd be more nostalgic one-off kinds of things. Like I think back of when uh, Back to the Future had, had its big anniversary and all these different shows about uh, one was about finding the original um, DeLorean. 
from on set. Like you'd pay thousands of dollars to have that, right? Um, sports fans would pay thousands of dollars to have different types of memorabilia from their teams, uh, car collectors, uh, people, some people are rich enough to collect homes, uh, you know, in different places around the world. Uh, you think about valuable art. It, art is all subjective and beauty is in the eye of the beholder as well as value. So look at what this means to people and it's kind of unique in its own way that it can be used in a game as well. If you can go ahead and throw it in a, in a protective enough case and play with people that are, you know, reasonable enough to respect what they're having the ability to play with as well. Cause it'd be a once in a lifetime thing to say, I played in a game where that card was actually used. So to think about those kind of things, it makes it pretty special in my eyes. I, I definitely appreciate the story and the value and the worth that it brings to everybody involved with it. Yeah, the, the board game industry is interesting in the card games is that there are some unique, it, unlike video games, which are, you know, there it's on a video game console. Board games have unique components and some of them are very rare. And I know I've got a few of them downstairs because I'm a board game collector that, okay, this game's worth a lot more because there are some unique and rare miniatures or some component and i don't even paint all these miniatures like some of these crazy fools do uh but yeah it's it's a unique medium that's for sure that lends to some of that collectability uh lego i mean shit (laughs) yeah like you're talking earlier about the rare lego right i mean sometimes things get retired and you can't get them anymore and when you have to barter through other people it gets more expensive so absolutely but i think the, the coolest thing like i said and i'll 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 end with what i have to contribute here is that it's actually something that you could go play the game with and the people involved with you would just have an amazing one-off experience that they could never have without that being involved i got my ass kicked by the one ring sure it's funny um when i think of things that i would one go back and wish i would have kept because now they're worth a ridiculous about amount of money but something i'd be willing to pay for uh, a working original Nintendo Entertainment System with a NES Advantage uh, and Contra. I just want to play Contra all day. I think Fucking love has it in his basement. Nice. And I, I just regret, but he could sell Contra for <laughs> hundreds of dollars. Patrick's going to end up rolling through southeastern Wisconsin on his way to the Dells for one night. Hang out <laughs> at the Thunder, at the Thunder Dome. This guy's had, we, we, I just want to play old video games on a giant television that it can't possibly hook up to. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing the collectible. You know, honestly, if it came to collectible cards, uh, any baseball card with uh, a classic St. Louis Cardinal pitcher, I would pay a lot of money for it. Bob Gibson, Stan Musial, a uh, probably Willie Mays would be would be a card I'd be willing to spend a lot of money on. I have multiple Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds rookie cards because they were my two favorite players growing up. And then oh, I have steroid. so many Don Mattingly cards and they're not even but, worth anything. No, but then steroids happened to my cards. Mm. Yeah. Right. King Griffey Jr. rookies. I remember uh, King Griffey Jr. rookies. Frank Upper deck. Thomas. Upper yep. deck 88, 89 or something like that. Oh, it was, uh, it's always amazing. Like the, uh, I'll have these cards forever and they'll be worth money someday. And then something weird happens and they don't work out. The Bo Jackson black and white card. Yep. With him wearing the, with the battle and he's wearing the pads, the shoulder pads. Yep. Good stuff. Fun conversation. All right. Let's get into some DC news bits that came out this week. Let's start with the least surprising news announcement ever. 
as Warner Brothers made it officially official. I shared this while drunk the other night. James Gunn will direct the next Superman movie. This should be absolutely no surprise as he's the one writing this movie. It's his baby. He's behind the helm. He just directed an evil Superman movie not too long ago called Brightburn. We don't know what to expect out of DC, but this is the right call, right, Dave? Is it? (laughs) Really? You don't think so? The reason I say that, I I, I mean, I don't doubt his ability. I I really don't. And I'm not trying to say that. I'm I'm just drawing the reference. Everybody wants to make him the Kevin Feige of DC. You don't see Feige out there directing anything. He's he's directing traffic. You know, he's directing projects and he's saying, here's this, here's that. But he doesn't get involved on the street level like Gunn is going to do with this thing. Yes, he's directing this and he's written it. But at the same time, it's like, dude, you got all this other stuff you've got to salvage. I mean, look, we're not going to talk about it. Shazam to Fury of the Gods bombing at the box office. We knew that was going to happen. But it's not a good sign for anything not, moving forward. Not if you ask Ray Cash. Yeah, oh, it's just man. not a good sign for anything moving forward. So for it doesn't me, doesn't matter at all. I, I disagree. I don't think it matters whatsoever. I think it's even better. Well, I mean, I, I get what you're saying because people are just wanting to distance themselves from the stench of the DC. People just want to see what Flashpoint's about and, right. and what comes next now. Right. Like and if that, you're an actual DC fan, that's where you're at. You could give a shit. Like, thank of, God, Shazam! They told that horribly. Yeah. That should have been about. Right. That should have been about Shazam, Superman, and Black Adam, not the way that everything else was happening. Yeah, and I think you know, I did hear read something that Tom Cruise got a screening of the Flash movie and thought it was fantastic. We'll see how that turns out, but I'm just my only be. thing is my only thing is if you're if you're James Gunn and you're you've got all this stuff going on, does that detract from your focus on the DC universe as a whole because you're going to be focused on the Superman movie, or are you basically saying this movie so crucial? I've got to be the one involved in this to get it right, and Tony's saying that, and if that's what it is, then I agree a hundred percent. I'm just saying. You know, my concern is from the universe as a whole, does this take away from what he's the bigger vision and the bigger thing he's trying to accomplish with the universe by focusing on this? Or like Tony is indicating, this is so important. We've got to get this right. I've got to be in the the one in the wheelhouse for this. Now, don't forget, and this is something that we've wanted to make sure that we're very careful with. Kevin Feige isn't the only captain of the DC ship, too. Like, you know, there is... And of course, I'm forgetting his name right now. Peter Saffron. Uh, Peter you said, Saffron. You said Feige. You meant Gunn, right? Or uh, yeah, James Gunn. Okay. Because Kevin Feige. We meant what you he's, know. He's yeah. Kevin Feige's been a producer. Like that's what he does. He is a producer. He is not. He's like I'm looking to see. I'm looking at his credits right now. I'm trying to see if he's done anything other than be a producer or an executive producer of anything and the answer that i am seeing right now is no he is a producer so my my point is here is he's not he's not necessarily been a script writer he's not necessarily been a director he's not been a filmmaker he's been the finance guy he's been the guy sort of handling the direction and that is a role that's been given to saffron in a lot of ways like they've talked about this like saffron is the numbers guy he's the crush now gun is a he's he's been known as a writer he's been known as a director now he's you know and a, and a producer 
So I think it fits a little bit better, and I think it's not a one-to-one comparison. And it's his baby. Like, again, like this particular film is his baby. And I think that part of it, would he trust anyone other than himself? Yeah. And not only is it, not only is it his baby, it's the movie that's alienated a big section of the DC fan base who's so up in arms that he went away from Henry Cavill to make this movie no, about a young you. It's upset you. Stop it. Not, you, I am not. Bad. No, 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 no. I am not. As much as I like Henry Cavill, I am not one of these people Tony, you, on there. Tony, do you have a soundbite of somebody crying, like a little baby crying? Can you find that, please? I don't. Luke, not I don't me. I'm all in favor of Gunn's vision and getting away from this train wreck that has been the DC. Sure, EU. sure, sure. Your man crush on Henry Cavill knows no bounds. But yeah, so I'm not particularly bothered by this. I, I think that it's not like he's directing every DC project. He's directing this DC project. That's fine. I, and I did like like you the article you posted had the description of the movie, which I know we've read before, but I thought it was really right. cool the tweet that uh, that Gunn shared. His that brother. The, yeah, the release date is coinciding with Dad's birthday, and he had no idea. Um, it, you know, and, and when you read that story and what they're going to do, this is Smallville, Clark Kent. Yeah, Henry Cavill does not fit right. into that role, so everybody just needs to shut the fuck up and let the movie be told because that is not the role for Henry Cavill. You know, <laughs> you're tell you're basically talking about the story of Superboy and as he goes from Superboy to Superman, that is not a Henry Cavill-ish role. So people need to relax. Let the story get told. Right, Tony? No. Am I wrong? Well, it's all Star Wars. Yes, here's exactly. the thing. I mean, I think nerds across all different, you know, style, comic book companies would agree that Superman, if not the most, is one of the most powerful uh, superheroes, right? Regardless of what's going on. So he's always going to be that linchpin, especially when you're creating and starting over in the the DC universe specifically. And from everything I've heard in all these different interviews and one-off, like, you know, self-commentaries about what's going to be happening from Gunn is he's a huge Superman fan. He's a huge story of the one he's writing right now. So if he's the one in charge of creative, basically, while the other guy's in charge of like, you know, the, the salary cap, um, you know, then why wouldn't he direct the story? He wanted to totally tell the basis from everything else that's happening himself when he's the one in charge. It only makes sense. I like it. And I can't wait to see what's to come, especially this Flashpoint movie, because, man, I think it's going to be so fucking good. For your sake and for James Gunn's sake, I sure hope so. Someone, by the way, who will not be directing any films for James Gunn in his new DC universe is Ben Affleck, who did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter. I'm just going to quote him because these quotes are delicious. I would not direct something for the gun DC Affleck tells THR's Rebecca Keegan. I have nothing against James Gunn. Nice guy. Sure. He's going to do a great job. I just wouldn't want to go in and direct in the way they're doing that. I'm not interested in that. Now he does follow up to say that this actually doesn't have a lot to do with James Gunn and has a lot more to do with my favorite director, Zack Snyder. Um, in which he described his experience and and um, Joss Whedon, in which he described his experience as 
the worst experience I've ever seen in a business, which is full of some shitty experiences. That's, um, wow. He did highlight the Snyder re-release as a silver lining. Um, but that he couldn't get away from the miserable day-to-day of the DCEU soon enough. You want to go to work and find something interesting to hang on to rather than just wearing a rubber suit. And most of it, you're just standing against a computer screen going, if this nuclear waste gets loose, we'll dot, dot, dot. That's fine. I don't condescend to that or put it down. But I got to a point where I found it creatively not satisfying. I thought, I don't want to participate. I don't want to participate in this in any way. And I don't want to squander any of my life, any more of my life of which I have a limited amount. He also uh, described filming in Zack Snyder's backyard at one point, I do believe was, was also part of it in, in doing the Snyder cut. Um, so I, I guess we uh, can say goodbye officially to Ben Affleck in the five minutes that he's in flashpoint as we move as we move on so uh so dave ben affleck's not coming back kind of close that door entirely yeah, thank god i don't i don't blame him i i mean and, and like you're saying this isn't him condemning james gunn or whatever vision gunn has it this is him saying i have zero faith in wb to do the right thing and my experience with them was so poor I would not have anything more to do with these guys. And and I you read the stuff about, you know, the Justice League specifically. I think this really stems from Justice League and his experience with the Snyder with Snyder backing off, Joss Whedon coming in there, the chaos that it uh, that occurred, the cuts that were made, just the general how they went about filming that movie burned him out so badly that it doesn't matter. You could put Kevin Feige in charge of the DC universe. I'm sure Affleck would say, this company's full of shit. I want nothing more to do with them. I don't blame him. I, I, re- I really don't, right or wrong or indifferent. Uh, you know, when you get burned that badly, you know, it's like we've talked about why Ray Fisher won't come back no matter who is in charge because of that company. Right. This interview to me, and Tony, I'll let you comment on this kind of confirms everything that we've speculated in regards to the shit show that has been Warner Brothers handling of a DC universe. Like, that's what this tells me. Sonny? I agree. I still think it was dumb because what if Gunn and Saffron do turn it around and there is something down the road that is really, really tasty for you because you you didn't do a you did a good job as Batman, I thought, in my opinion. Like I, I think one of the things everybody can agree on from that was that, boy, Ben Affleck at the least was much better than we thought, and at at the best was a really good Batman. And why would you? Why would you at the at the least have yourself eating crow to come back to some uh, some possible really really good uh, you know nostalgic return? So. I just don't, it doesn't make sense on my part. I, I guess, you know, and mom, mom always said, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, you know, eat a box of chocolates or something. I'll take it one step further and throw this out there to you guys. I don't think that Warner Brothers got the casting wrong for the DCEU. Really, you think about it, who who out there put in a shitty performance? None of them. Even Ezra Miller, for all of his issues, is a decent flash, right? Wonder what Gal Gadot... 
Jason Momoa, Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, Ray Fisher. All those guys were really fine actors and they put in good performances. It was everything going on behind the scenes that cut their legs out from underneath them before they could ever build any momentum. And, you know, we've always talked about it on the show how important casting is. Arguably, they got the casting right. It's everything else that went wrong. I mean, yes, and every everything. Yeah, it's it's a disaster. I don't I don't think I think Ben Affleck in general, by the way, given his history with superhero films, might just be done with superhero films. Yeah, like period. Maybe, maybe Daredevil. Daredevil didn't work. Being Batman didn't work. And Daredevil wasn't his fault either. Like it's not like he made Daredevil the terrible movie that it is. He'll be um, fine. He'll be fine. Yeah, by the I, way. I think his I think, millions uh, he, of dollars, the women he, that he is as lower, cool. Pretty sure he's together. got a gold little gold statue we talked about earlier as well. So yeah, I think, he, I'm looking forward to seeing him in that Nike movie. Oh, it's going to be uh, great. Yeah, Air or whatever. Yeah, whatever it's called. Oh, that's uh, good. Good stuff. We got to review that one, by the way. Do we? We do. We do. Significant. All right. Please do. At least think okay. about it a little I will, bit. I will definitely think about it. Appreciate okay. it. Thought about it. Let you know later. Okay. Last, last bit before our last bit. I did want to acknowledge. So, news came out uh, today, or not today, earlier this week, that Lance Reddick, uh, actor, passed away. And I normally don't like. It's been a while since we've really talked about an actor passing, but as I opened the show when we got into the news around the nerdosphere talking about importance to a genre lance reddick is a character actor that i think hits a lot of people who are on this podcast maybe not necessarily everybody is seated in this chair hits a little differently than some other famous actors that have passed away because lance reddick has been a, a guy who has brought some great has bought, brought some real gravitas to his roles and he accepts and has done a lot of great science fiction roles. I got my introduction to him as an actor, like truly got my introduction to him as an actor watching the television show fringe on Fox, which also uh, starred Joshua Jackson. And, um, Oh God, I'm going to forget her name. God, she was in last of us too. And I feel really bad for forgetting her, but, um, just a terrific, terrific, like, science fiction high high level uh program and he he passed away suddenly at the age of 60 he's done a lot of stuff i know he's been in uh tony's favorite series of keanu reeves movies uh john wick so i'm sure he's all about that but thoughts on lance Reddick passing away he was also uh slated to play zeus apparently in the upcoming percy jackson and the olympian series on disney plus so could impact production there as well. But Lance Reddick, with us no, way, no more, gone at 60. Honey, you dropped your mic. Go for it. I mean, films, great expectations. Uh, a few different Godzilla. I Dreamed of Africa. Uh, Jonah Hex, the guest. Obviously, you mentioned John Wick. I mean, most recently, uh, One Night in Miami. And then television, New York Undercover, The Nanny, uh, Oz. Law and Order, yeah. I mean, The Wire, CSI Miami, Numbers, Lost, Fringe, this guy, Wilfred, I mean, he did so many different things. Turn to gaming, Destiny, 
He was a big part of Destiny. They had a big event in honor Rick of him. Rick and In honor of him on Destiny just yesterday, I think. Something like that. You talk about so, someone that's been in almost everything that's good. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. Right. Yeah, he, he the guy literally, like, never missed. And he will be missed. He also did a lot of voice acting as well. Like, he did voice acting for Rick and Morty. He was... The voice of Thomas Wayne on a Batman podcast uh, called Batman Unburied. Have you guys ever have you guys ever heard of these video games? Um, Destiny, Quantum Break, Payday, Horizon Zero Dawn, Destiny 2, John Wick, Horizon Forbidden West. You know, have you ever heard of those? Because he was a narrator in all those, too, or a, or a voice uh, actor. Well, I just mentioned Destiny. Yeah. But uh, Her- Horizon Forbidden West is, is a huge game real big so yeah he's he's been everywhere and in just 60 is just too young i know right isn't that about your age dave go at any minute getting there i know i need to, oh, i need to man. work on my life insurance policy sorry tony i got a, I got a little dark i went a little dark there my bad uh is it hot in here or is it just you okay i told you guys that i was gonna have one piece of breaking news on this sunday afternoon i'm gonna share it now i'm sure Somewhere out there, there's a dun, 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 news thing playing. We'll uh, we'll pretend it is anyway. Tony's looking for one now. See, because I said it. So as I was scrolling around my favorite website, io9, I saw a news article report saying that according to Deadline, Denzel Washington is in final negotiations to co-star in Ridley Scott's Gladiator sequel. Denzel Washington in Gladiator. Sounds like this could be a possible. Dave is holding his head. He's already, he's got a migraine. Why does this bother you? The role is being <laughs> kept a, a secret. Do we, did we need a Gladiator sequel all these years later? I, I, I don't know, but. We didn't, but we're getting one. All right. So, I guess, you know. Heaven forbid the I mean the protagonist died, so we got that. But um, apparently, th- also this isn't the first time that Denzel and Ridley Scott have worked together because uh, Ridley Scott was the uh, director of American Gangster, and Denzel Washington was in there. So here's the thing: I'm trying to picture Denzel Washington in in, in any form of Roman garb. Whether it be a gladiator, whether it be a senator, whether it be anything, Tony, does Denzel Washington fit in a, in a gladiator setting? In your opinion, I mean, we're we're it's it's a sequel, but it won't feature Maximus's return. But it's a sequel. It is a sequel. So it continues the story. Like how far much farther ahead? Because otherwise, unless we're completely relocating to a different part of the world at that time he he's likely a slave yeah i mean you're not wrong i don't know so where i don't know. go i, I mean I, according I to deadline according to deadline after reading the script sources close to the project said he was excited about the badass role scott had written with him in mind is he so possi- going to be a badass is he a possibly like a brand one of the newest like retired um fighters that he won his freedom and now like he's teaching someone else i mean that kind of role would make sense if he's like the main guy like the ass kicker he's a little old for that role so 
And I'm not saying that a black person has to play a slave every time they're on TV or, or playing. I'm just saying, if we're going to continue the story from where we were at, that's kind of in that setting in that part of the world. That's what was the, that that's the story that was told. If we're continuing that so close in the timeline, that's kind of where I'm going with that. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on because for him to play someone, you know, younger than 50 years old it really just bothers me dave i don't know i i guess we'll see i i mean you know it depends on the movie i i denzel and roman gladiator garb you know i I mean he needs to talk to hugh jackman's nutritionist and physical trainer probably but yeah that sort of thing uh but yeah i guess (laughs) I mean, he's is from an acting standpoint. I have no no issues there. We know he can bring it in that regard. But you know, I mean, what Training Day? I haven't seen Denzel in too many action, physically intensive movies lately. Yeah, that's fair. I can't think of any. All right, let's get to our last little conversation piece before we head out of here. Flip it along at a solid hour and thirty. Last of Us wrapped up its first season on HBO. Reviews have been extraordinarily strong. Season two has been green lit. Tunny watched some of it and quit. Uh, oh, no, no. He's, he's got an excuse, I'm sure. I watched it episode by episode. Um, I think it's really interesting to start with that this is the latest of the video game adaptations where people are like, video games can be turned into entertainment they finally broken the curse i i would argue it's been broken before whether or not you like the resident evil franchise for example or not like those are very successful movies they did quite well they'll be fine i i did love this series it is a very interesting and compelling show it actually made me interested in the game and would consider playing the game it is also if you're only someone who watched the first episode and you think it is a zombie horror show, it's just not. It, it's not on so many levels, and it tells some really great individual stories within this series that you didn't get out of the video game, that, that fans of the games either loved um, or at least got to talk about. I mean, everybody famously talks about episode three, but there's other there's other great episodes as well that that sort of told these all these individual insulated stories. I think you guys, sh- I, I think everybody should watch it if they have it. If you have HBO Max, give it a watch, catch up on it. It's terrific. Season two has already been announced to be stretched um, into a, at least two separate seasons, so it's not going to cover all of Last of Us two. The way that it did and the the final episode and i knew the twist going in but the final episode and the way the twist is delivered is terrific it's very very well done if you've played the get video game you know what it's like if you don't know i'm not going to spoil it here tony what what turned you off from the last of us in, in your viewing because i know you gave it a try so yeah eventually i got the time and i went okay i'm supposed to watch this and at the very least i will always try so the first episode, um, I believe we're walking the dog back over, um, and the dog doesn't want to go in because inherently it seems the dog is going to be eaten alive. Dogs always know evil, right? By by whatever. And I went, um, I don't. This isn't really my thing. 
I really don't want to see that. And I turned it off. True. Animals in peril. Not your gay. Dave, Sorry. when are you going to watch this show? Uh, I, when are you going to finish watching this show? I need to start watching the show. I, I need. When I, are you going to start watching this show? Well, here's the thing is because I played quite a bit of the of the game i I know some of the story i know they've switched up a few things um it's it's probably next on my hit list i want to finish andor like i mentioned earlier i got a few episodes there tony i'm at the very last episode of uh house of the dragon which is phenomenal i will say that i can't wait to watch the last episode but it's that then andor then last of us is my next priority but um, i did read stuff that they that the last of us part two is going to be the game is going to be translated over on the screen and stretched out over like you're saying pat a couple of seasons uh to get it all in there so i have every intention of watching the show i hear nothing good about it and with all due respect to the resident evil franchise i think you can make a strong argument that this is the first video game adaptation that has broken through critically uh resident evil broke through commercially last of us has been the first one to break through critically where critics are coming out saying this is a hell of a show this is something different. This isn't just your typical zombie survival sort of thing. And Tony, my wife has the same issue as you. If animals are in peril, she's not going to watch it. She loves the show and has made it through the entirety of the first season and says it's phenomenal. So what's what's the Netflix one with the guy with the the animal guy, something king or whatever? Oh, Tiger that, King. That's stupid. Yeah. Thing. Okay, so I turned I turned that on too after a little bit because people were just oh it's you know blah 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 and. You know, I like a good scandal, whatever. I can I can deal with some, you know, weird shit, but they had that like African snow leopard or something in this van in 95 degrees and I'm like, "Listen, I just that. I I'm sorry, I can't. I just can't. It's something I just can't deal with." I have zero interest in that shit show. But I will say this, Cocaine Bear is now available on Vudu for for rent. Cocaine so. Shark. I mean, let's How about we got time right now, Patrick? Come no, on, we're not us, talking about Cocaine I, Shark. We're not. We're not going no. to at all. No, we're not. I, we're not going to talk about Cocaine Shark whatsoever. But, I mean, we have at least 24 and a half minutes left. I'm asking for five minutes. What animal would lend itself to volume three of, of Cocaine said animal? We have bear. We have shark. What's the third believable story to refresh the franchise? <laughs> you ruined it with the believable part there. But, um No. I <laughs> thought about it for a second. That's a win. We can, It's all good. No. What I was doing while you guys were talking is I'm trying to look at our release date schedule is figure out what's next for us. Cocaine, cocaine, spider, cocaine, spiders. Shut up. No more cocaine. Stop. No. Cocaine, cocaine sloth. Look at that. Thing's actually moving at regular speed. <laughs> all right. I'm ending this conversation. I'm looking to see when our next edition of the Deadpool is scheduled to happen. Um, Guardians, May something. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is May 5th, 2023. But do we have a series? Is Loki now before Secret Invasion up? coming? Loki. Loki. Loki would be next. I think that's June. Um, Loki season. Then Loki. Well, we've got Secret Invasion. What if season two? This isn't a definitive. Marvel's twenty. You want to do a Deadpool for the Super Mario Brothers? Uh, April April fifth. But we got Dungeons and Dragons next weekend. Right, but I don't think anybody's going to die necessarily in Dungeons and Dragons. Well, maybe Chris Pine's going to die. All right, so Ant Man and the Wasp, 
everything here is talking about yeah everything i see is guardians of the galaxy is really next so man it's a long way away anyway this is great podcasting you know me searching through the internet to find out what's next you, our, our you know, the next cocaine volume so you know that's your problem. yeah we're not going to talk about the next cocaine volume um i was sort of on with cocaine bear here's here, uh, here here's my here's my two cents on cocaine shark if you're going to rip off a franchise by stealing its name at least involve cocaine in your trailer you did none of that shame on you cheap capitalize on the popularity of cocaine bear by coming up with cocaine shark are, are we missing the obvious one cocaine anteater Come on. Like, oh. wasn't that built for it? I got a story for you guys. All right. That's going to do it. I got a story this. for you guys. Real, a real nerd you story. You say cocaine anything. Nope. I'm... nope. Uh, okay. The other night, my wife and I were like, like, you know, looking for something to watch. And, and I, I threw out something. I was like, hey, have you ever seen the 1982 Swamp Thing? Because I've always kind of wanted oh, to watch it. Classic bonkers. Little we, we rented it for like four bucks. It's not terrible. It's not good. But it's not terrible. The the Swamp Thing costume is god awful. But um, it's kind of interesting. For 1982, for 1982, it was oh, it's, really good. It's 80s schlock all the way. You should watch. I, I would recommend checking it out. It's fun. Did didn't the gentleman who played the inside the suit for that movie didn't he just pass? Ray Wise, did he pass? I think so. Was Ray Wise the guy in the suit? I, think, I don't I even think know. It was. I have to look that up. More good podcasting. <laughs> Got to got to look that up. Yeah, I guess so. Um, Swamp Thing doesn't even show up in my. Oh, there we go. Swamp Thing, nineteen eighty-two. Oh, he's still alive. No, the guy that played in the suit, not the guy who was Swamp Thing outside of it. Oh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, interestingly enough, Heather Locklear stars in Return of the Swamp yes, Thing. Yes, she does. Nineteen eighty-nine sequel. Yes, she does. In which the Swamp Thing falls in love with Heather Locklear. Available to watch on Fubo TV, should you want to, or Pluto TV, which is free, by the way. Check that Pluto. out, I guess, if you need to. All right, we are clearly out of things to talk about today. That is going to Swamp Thing for the win. Bandwagon. We are we are going to go back Heather to watching Locklear NCAA basketball. We have unfortunately talked about Swamp Thing. Before we get out of here, though. Let's do a quick once around. Tell everybody where to find you on the socials and the Church Out Radio Network. This week, we will start with David Ungar. Find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G. Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. And if none of that works, look for me in DPP's basement where I'll probably be hanging out. Not a bad place to hang out. No. PC Tunney, also hanging out in DPP's basement. You can find me at TJ Hooker underscore Spin City. Uh, nice. Yeah, nice. what's up? Uh, Charlie Sheen winning uh, chair shot radio network folks just go there sports entertainment and sports entertainment there's a podcast there for you uh, too many talented people to not listen chair shot radio network and you can of course find me on the twitter at wrestling realist that is at w-r-e-s-t-l-n-g-r-e-a-l-i-s-t also head over to twitter and follow the show at bandwagon nerds that we as i always say Need to keep doing better with uh, keeping that updated, but follow us. Give us a reason to keep giving you polls where you all tell me that I overreact to Tony and Dave and pray and, and all of those stuff. Cause you know, not about the rules on a project show. It's just about what they want to do. Finally, you can catch me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the chair shot radio network. Every Monday I'm talking nerdy stuff 
On this program, every Tuesday, I am talking hockey or music with David Ungar. And on Wednesday, I am talking wrestling with Greg DeMarco on The Greg DeMarco Show. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Now get yourself out of the basement. Get some sun. And you know what? Lose an hour and a half of your life watching the abysmal Swamp Thing movie. Thank Dave later. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, part of the Chairshot.com. Anything can happen. Where did you find your uh, little bodyguard? I didn't find him. I caught him. What? Shorty's family were killed when the Japanese bombed Shanghai. He's been living on the streets since he was four. <laughs> I caught him trying to pick my pocket. Didn't I, short stuff? The biggest trouble with her is the noise. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.